You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning machine keeps turning death and hatred to mankind poisoning their brainwashed mind welcome to the anarchist world this week broadcast across australia on the national community radio satellite listen to the anarchist world this week australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse listen to analysis of local national international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. My name's Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting today's program as I've been over the last four and a half decades, but that's another story. I'd like to thank Karina for doing all the technical bits and pieces to ensure that this program goes on air. Don't forget the program is a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. We've also an app. They tell me there's an app. I don't know what an app is. <laughs> Application, I assume. You've got to apply yourself to things, don't you? All right, wonder what Anarchy is all about. No, it's not about apps, social media, letter writing, nothing like that. Anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability, as we see ad nauseum, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, the ability to determine the lives of billions of people, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very conservative concepts. Maybe radicals, maybe anarchists, maybe radicals in terms of the mechanisms and the actions they take to create a society without rulers, but in terms of the underlying principles, they're very simple principles which come from our evolutionary history as a species because it was cooperation not competition which allowed us to become a plague on planet earth all right let's move on after the you know the uh, homily the religious quasi religious homily now i'd like to thank an, a lot of people and especially those involved in the public housing struggle, which I've been involved in now for about a decade. And uh, it's been a very long struggle. And in certain parts of Australia and in Victoria where I live, it's been a uh, particularly difficult struggle. And obviously, all those activists who've been involved in all those vigils and all those actions over the past decade or two in some cases, a lifetime, to highlight the importance of public housing 
is the fact is that finally, finally, through the activities of the uh, Australian Greens, mainly the Victorian branch, we've seen the illusion that social community affordable housing is somehow public housing. Now, I'm going to go through this again because we've seen a historic agreement between the ALP and the uh, Australian Greens regarding public housing. Now, I've got, uh, I'm pleased with the agreement, but I've got obviously a lot of concerns because there are sectors out there who are very keen to get their hands on any money that is going to be allocated towards housing. And if you listen to the ALP at the federal level, it's as if the word public housing doesn't exist in their vocabulary. So hopefully, when the Australian Greens negotiated their agreement with the ALP regarding public and community housing, all right, public and community housing, that they ensured that the bulk of the money would go towards public housing. Now, unfortunately, as far as housing is concerned, it's a state responsibility. And you'll find states like Victoria, who I'm pretty confident, will attempt to channel any federal money that goes, comes their way into the community, social, affordable housing sector, unless people like us continue to apply the pressure to not only build public housing, but increase public housing stock through spot purchasing. So what's so great about public housing? Well, it's not great that people with issues are all herded together in one particular you know, site. That creates problems, as we know. But in the 1980s and 1990s in uh, Victoria, there was a move to move away from that type of public housing into a program of not building but spot purchasing homes around the state to integrate people in public housing in the general community. The strength of public housing compared to social community affordable or rental housing or even a mortgage is security. Security. And what we all need is the knowing that that roof over our head will continue ad nauseum. Unfortunately, in Victoria, which I'm familiar with, public housing is being privatised for a variety of ways. But the fact that there is a housing crisis has put public housing back on the agenda. Because the whole purpose of public housing, if we look at uh, many other countries, especially in Western Europe, is to provide secure, stable housing for people who cannot afford to enter the private housing market. And the private housing market has now become an investment mecca where we see two things happening. We see the government passing legislation that actually encourages people to invest money in private residential property. And at the same time, we are seeing people with a little bit of disposable income through legislation are being pushed into acquiring a second or a third home as some type of hedge or investment regarding their uh, retirement. 
So we've got this particular situation because ultimately, ultimately, it's not about the private sector. It's not about giving the private sector some uh, direct support, monetary support or support via legislation or taxation reform. It's about putting money in public housing. And if private investors want to leave the housing market, perfect opportunity for that money that's been uh, allocated towards the housing crisis is used to pot pu- spot purchase properties across the country in order to provide secure housing. Because what public housing does, it provides secure housing for people who can never afford to buy into the private rental mar- private marketplace, who have trouble, you know, even meeting private rents, and it only at twenty five percent of income. In many regards, it's an anarchistic concept that people's ability to keep a roof over their head is related to percentage of income, not related to the investment value of that particular property. So all those of you involved in the public housing debate, it's not over. The public housing struggle is still ongoing. It will continue and it will continue while governments try to, um, you know, governments try to pull the wool over their eyes by using word, interchangeable words, which uh, concepts are not interchangeable. Public housing is not community housing, which is privately owned, sometimes by not-for-profit groups. The rules and regulations regarding public housing are very different to the rules and regulations regarding social, community and affordable housing. The fact is, if it's public, it means everybody, irrespective of their particular issues, it's everybody. If it's social, community, affordable... There are rules and regulations. These private organisations, whether they're church-run, not-for-profit, pick and choose who they're... Like any landlord or landlady, pick and choose who their tenants are. So if you're involved in the public housing struggle, we need to keep up the pressure. It's not about some legislation which has gone in Parliament. It's keeping up the pressure. All right, let's move on. Now, it's interesting... The debate re, re, uh, revolving around the uh, voice referendum. And I've been amazed, not at the coalition, the node coalition, that's, that's another story for another day, but I've been amazed <laughs> at the ignorance regarding what a referendum is, what parliamentary democracy is. Now, a referendum in Australia, as far as our constitutional arrangements are concerned, is the only time the people, not the people's representatives in Parliament, get to make a choice. It's the people. And when the 1967 referendum... It's not about just counting uh, First Nations people in, in the census. It was actually about giving the Commonwealth power to legislate under the, con- the constitutional arrangement which allows 
the uh, the Commonwealth Government to pass legislation regarding people's race. That's right, still part of the Constitution, but it excluded Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders because it allowed the states, only the states could make legislation for them. It was the momentum that was created by the 67 referendum which led to the success of the land rights movement. Irrespective of its limitations, huge progress was made in the minds of the public regarding the importance of land rights to First Nations people. So it was about momentum. Politics is about momentum, as we've seen with the public housing struggle. You may find yourself in an isolated corner for generations and all of a sudden that momentum is there for change. Because in a parliamentary democracy, it's not just the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. It's not just our parliamentary representatives, the people's parliamentary representatives, but the people themselves have a mechanism via which to change things. And what a referendum does, and we haven't had one since 1999, it gives the people of the country an opportunity to make a decision and create the momentum necessary for much-needed change. It's about momentum. So irrespective of what you think about the limitations of the voice referendum, the fact is that if you remember 1999 and the debate regarding this country becoming a Republican, a republic and how that debate and that push and that momentum dissipated overnight with the failure of that referendum, we face the same problem in 2023. The failure of the voice referendum will mean, to a significant degree, the loss of that political momentum to create a treaty or a number of treaties between the colonisers and this country's First Nations people. It's about momentum. And sometimes, to create political momentum, we need to support uh, initiatives which don't at the end, uh, make meaningful, immediate change. Because it's that momentum which changes everything. It changes everything. And I've been involved in many struggles over the years and I've seen many of them just dissipate and disappear, you know, not to be seen for decades. And others, with a momentum which is created by people, and in this case by a referendum, results insignificant change. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. You're interested in getting some information regarding different topics? If you go to the public interests before corporate interests, PIBC, PIBCI, um, YouTube channel. There's about 300 presentations there and particular uh, issues. And uh, the one currently up is on, and there's about 300 there, is on... Uh, our ability that we've lost the right to strike in this country, not that we ever had a right to strike. And those of you that are interested in trade unionism and the labour movement, I'll be doing, and you're in Melbourne, I'll be doing a presentation on 19th century trade, uni trade unionism 
on Wednesday, the 20th of September at the Footscray Hotel at 48 Hopkins Street in Footscray, 6.30pm for a 7pm uh, start. Most of the presentations I've done on important historical moments in Australian history are now on another YouTube channel, which you can look at, and that is um, josephtoscano.n-a-a-r-m, josephtoscano.n-a-a-r-m. Now, I'm a little bit perplexed. I'm going to do a, sex, a segment here that you've never heard me do before. It's in praise of corporate Australia. Now, I understand the Australian people have lost faith in corporate Australia. Well, to some degree, not fully. And I understand Mr Joyce's $24 million handshake was a bit of a worry and the fact that we had some of the biggest firms in this country colonising the public sector and using that information to maximise their profits upset some people. And I do know, and I do know that people have been upset by the super profits which have been generated by the mining fraternity which gets this country's um, natural resources for a peppercorn rent. And I know you're upset about the super profits in the banking sector and the fact that you've been forced to bank on the on, you know on the net and all these scams and problems which occur. And I know you're upset with corporate Australia because of all that information which has disappeared and turned up on the dark net. And I know you're concerned about the fact that CEO salaries increased by 15% in the last year while workers' salaries didn't even keep up with inflation. I know all these things, but I love corporate Australia. I love corporate Australia. And I'll tell you why. Irrespective of whether they're overseas owned or locally owned, I love corporate Australia. Because they are doing what comes naturally to a corporation. You see, a corporation does not have any responsibility to the Australian people. It has no responsibility to the Australian Parliament. And yes, I'm going to mention those four words again. And during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation era we are currently in, corporations have been doing what they are meant to do. Private investment for private profit is their mantra. And their responsibility is not to the Australian people, not to the Australian workforce, not to people on social security benefits, not to the government of the day. But their major and only responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders if, that's right, if it's a shareholder listed, if it's a listed company, or for their owners, if it's a privately owned company. That is their 
role. There is no other role. There is no ethical responsibility. There is no moral responsibility. We're told that you know corporations act morally and ethically, while the divisions in society continue to widen. And we wonder why nothing ever seems to change. Because while we accept the private investment for private profit mantra as the essence, that's right, the essence, as our economic DNA, we will continue to see the corporate sector do what it is designed to do. Maximise profits at the expense of the community, at the expense of their customers, at their expense at the expense of their workers. That is their fundamental role. And for us to believe, as we have over the last four decades, four and a half decades, that government's role is to get out of the way of business and allow them to do what they like, then we have no reason to complain because there is no momentum and I like to use the word political momentum, must be the word of the week, but there is no momentum for change. There may be some momentum regarding change, regarding First Nations people. There is some momentum regarding uh, gender equality. But when it comes to the fundamentals, the building blocks the DNA, there is no momentum to cripple corporate Australia. There is no momentum to kneecap corporate Australia. And what we see, as we've seen in the current agreement, Housing Future Fund, we've seen once again the private sector being given the maximum support. Now, I know that during the robo-debt fiasco, which we, as a people, allowed to continue for years, despite it being illegal, despite it being immoral, despite it not being ethical, the fact is there was no momentum because we all believe the propaganda. And it is propaganda that people on social security benefits, and I never use the word welfare on this program, it's a compact. It's social security benefits. It's a compact between those people in the country who for a variety of reasons are not able to survive, whether it's health issues, whether it's domestic issues, whether it's separation issues, whether it's uh, mental health issues, people on you know social security benefits, uh, widows' pensions, child endowment, the list goes on and on. It's a social compact. We will, as a community, look after your basic needs, very basic needs, but we won't see you organising and protesting. Okay. That's the social compact. It's to keep order 
in society. That's why you have a social security system. It's one way to keep order in an unequal society. So when we start complaining about the corporate sector, let's not forget they are doing what we allow them to do. They are doing what their ability to determine the parliamentary agenda allows them to do. They are doing things which has resulted in a U-curve, believe it or not, 40 years ago, for every dollar you successfully invested, the investor would get 33%, 34% return. The worker who created that profit would get 66%. Today, it's the other way around. That's why we have billionaires, multi-billionaires, and soon, I assume, we'll have trillionaires. Because 33% of any profit created goes to the worker and 66% goes to the investors. And that's not just because... They tell us they work hard and they're smarter. It's because of legislation and political movements which have joined together in order to give them a clear, unhindered run to the Treasury. That's right. For example, for example, this is what I really find extraordinary, but obviously nobody else finds extraordinary, except maybe listeners to the Anarchist World this week. Renewable energy, okay. You know, we've seen a few issues around the world. The great thing about nature is it doesn't really care whether we exist or not as a species. It does what nature has to do, depending on, you know, I know this is a horrible word, scientific principles, you know. One plus one equals two. One plus one doesn't equal three. It may equal three in our minds. We may think that climate emerges doesn't exist. We may want not want to think about it. But the fact is, one plus one equals two, you know. And what the scientists have been saying for uh, decades is beginning to be... Beginning, and the key word is beginning to be an issue as far as the eight billion people on the planet are concerned. So, corporations do what corporations do, and that's maximise their profits, irrespective of the human, social, environmental costs to the community. They would sell you the last ticket on the last train to hell if it make a buck for them. And the fact is that we are all incorporated in the system. And to make it even more disgusting, most people who have superannuation in superannuation funds will see that those funds, at least 50% of those funds, not in invested in, you know, housing, but will see that those funds invested in the very organisations, the very corporations which exploit us. End of story. So we do need political momentum and we need political momentum to shift from what are peripheral issues which can be incorporated in a capitalist system, successfully incorporated, the green dollar, the pink dollar, you name it, you can make a buck out of it. I mean... Could even make a buck out of. Let's see what else. All these bucks out of drugs to be made, tobacco, alcohol, illegal drugs. You name it. If we can make a buck, we're into it. Pedophilia, you know, it goes on and on. You can make a buck. That's what it's about, isn't it? 
So, Corporate Australia does what Corporate Australia does best, and that's maximise profits by exploiting their workers and cheating their customers. That's their role. And for us to get upset about it, without looking at the fundamental reasons why this occurs in our society, is a mistake. Because everything is in place to ensure, as I said before, that corporations have a super highway to the Treasury. As I said before, renewable energy, okay? Nice thing. Wind, solar, hydroelectric, whatever. Whatever else you can find. Put the coal you know, industry to bed. Decrease CO2 emissions. Maybe save the planet and the human race. You never know if we do the right thing. In Australia... The Commonwealth Government is going to give the private sector $40 billion over the next few years to give them a bit of a hand up, you know. At the same time, they're giving more than that amount to the uh, dirty industries, the coal industry. So corporate welfare exists in many ways. It exists in direct financial contributions to provide basic services to the population. It exists in terms of legislation which allows corporations to actually bypass the taxation system. So corporate welfare is the main issue we face today. And while as a society we are not willing to envisage the struggle to create a public sector and a cooperative and collective sector to the economy, we will continue to find ourselves in this situation. Because when you allow, in a mixed economy, which is no longer mixed, one segment of the economy, that's the private marketplace, to determine everything you get. We get what we deserve, and that includes me. We. We. We get a disgusting, evil, incomprehensible aged care sector. See all those ads, social media, television, radio? Come and retire with us. We'll look after you as long as we can raid your superannuation money. The state washes its hands of its responsibility to people who have worked all their lives, obeyed the law, paid their taxes, washes their hands of any responsibility. End of story. Look at the age look at the early childhood development sector, early childhood learning sector. Privatised. And you see the great thing about living in a privatised economy, a private investment for private profit world, is the fact that what happens is that all these small businesses we love to put on the altar and worship in this country, when we say there are five million people, that's half the workforce employed by small business and micro-businesses, the fact is that because of the private investment for private profit mantra, the logical endpoint of capitalism is the creation of co- co- creation of corporations which dominate every aspect of our existence food distribution 
three or four corporations. Banking, four or five corporations. Aged care, three or four corporations. Early childhood development, three or four corporations. NDIS, which was the latest, you know, we saw these small private companies jump in. Well, they're beginning to be gobbled up. And in a country, in a country where there are no laws that allow us as a people to break up corporations into smaller entities to ensure there is a little bit of competition, this is what happens. So how do we resolve the issue? Well, before we do that, listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can go to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. If you're interested in following up some of these ideas and involved in some of the activities that uh, we try to organise, some successful, some disastrous, I I, I suggest you go to the Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Joseph Toscano for the Public, or go to anarchistmedia.org. Or if you're really interested and you really want to make a difference, why don't you join public interest before corporate interest? Go to pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can join online, P-I-B-C-I dot net. I know that people don't like joining political movements these days, that we just like to sit on the sidelines and harp on about this and harp on about that. Totally politically, socially, culturally impotent. The fact is that, uh, you know, you need to get your hands dirty in order to change things. You can go YouTube channel, um, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, YouTube channel, justoscano.nam, N-A-A-R-M. And uh, keep your eye out on what's happening. There's a lot of things happening. We do social interaction, not much community interaction. I should say, yes, community interaction, not much social media interaction. I mean, a lot of people have thought, oh, what a great organising thing social media is. You know, within two or three minutes, everybody can be talking about the same issue. But they're talking about the same issue from the same direction. So let's get back to this mixed economy. If you really want a functioning economy, functioning, where the needs of human beings are at least addressed, maybe not met, but addressed, we need to break up the corporate sector. We can do that by building new public institutions. Why give $40 billion to the renewable private industry, which is interested in centralised, privately owned renewable energy, when the same amount of money could actually be used to set up publicly owned renewable energy systems. The difference between a private owned and something that's privately owned and publicly owned, at least if it's publicly owned, you can put pressure on the government to make changes. If it's privately owned, you've got to go through some type of you know, legislative agenda or committee that's been set up that's underfunded, under-resourced, which doesn't have the necessary legislation to keep an eye on the private sector, as we see every day. So what's this, you know, why aren't we interested in public housing, public infrastructure, public renewable energy, public telecommunications, public health, 
and I'll talk about that in a minute, and the list goes on and on. Just extraordinary. The definition of insanity is very simple. You know, we do a few parables here on this program, the Anarchist World this week. We're very, very good at parables. Well, we're not good at parables. I'm sure parables bore you to, to tears. You're faced with a brick wall, okay? You're faced with a brick wall. You can charge that brick wall head first until you're unconscious and you can wake up and you can charge against that brick wall until you're unconscious again but nothing is going to change and that's what we're doing today to a steamer degree. Well, there are other options. You can walk around the brick wall. You can scale the brick wall. You can dig under the brick wall. You can break down the brick wall not using your head, but a bulldozer. So the fact is, there are different ways that as human beings, we have historically been able to address the problems we face as communities. The problems we face culturally, socially, environmentally. So the third arm of any economy should be the collective and cooperative sector, as I said at the beginning of the program. The difference between us and the other species which we've battered into submission is the fact that we, as a species, cooperated. We worked together. And evolutionary theory tells us very simply the predominant thing we had over the animal world was the fact that we could cooperate and work collectively. So why isn't there ever any money to fund cooperative or collective initiatives? Now, people working in cooperatives and collectives don't get rich. It's not like a corporation. But they do produce products that are needed that are not based on the concepts of, you know, ever-increasing profits for profit's sake. And they, do, and they can produce services which are required. And the fact is that when you work cooperatively and collectively, you share the profits. End of story. So if we want to continue to have health, public health issues, we want to continue thinking there's never any resources available to deal with anything, well, we just continue the way we are. We accept it. You accept the fact that one third of the population rents for eternity, one third of the population pays off a mortgage for eternity. We call them intergenerational mortgages these days. They're so high because you know residential property is now an investment, not shelter or a right. We can you know we can continue down this pathway, and there will never be enough resources or money. For public health. Look, I've been involved, I've been a doctor, what, 47 years? 47 years? And I've seen the public health system, you know, groan and groan and groan. And currently, huge issues regarding the public health system because there's never enough resources. And why is there never enough resources? Because resources are limited. We don't train people. It's easy to bring people from overseas. We've been doing this for decades. 
We tend to think of the public health sector as a second-rate system. But if you're involved in a major collision and have multiple injuries, or if you need complex surgery, you're not going to find yourself in the majority of cases in the private health sector. You will find yourself in the public health sector. And the fact is that if we want a more equitable public health sector where there isn't ambulance ramping, where people aren't treated in an off-mannered situation because of a lack of staff, then we need to be thinking about how do you fund this? How do you fund this? And I find it extraordinary, and I talk about this every week, and obviously, you know, it's not a very interesting issue, but I cannot believe, I cannot believe this, you know, I'm, I'm a septogenarian these days, but I cannot believe that one of the richest countries, continents, in the known world, which is every inch of planet Earth, I'm not talking about Mars or Venus, but every inch of planet Earth, I cannot believe that we in Australia can't look after the basic needs of 26 million people. I mean, we're not some God-forsaken, exploited place with minimal resources, with huge populations. This is a continent, 26 million people, rich in resources, rich in agricultural products, rich beyond belief. People used to drown trying to come here. We have thousands of asylum seekers fly in every week into this country looking for the good life, which they find is not here in the majority of cases. So why do we allow privately owned corporations to not only exploit our natural resources, the country's natural resources for a peppercorn rent, why do we allow them to arrange their affairs legally in such a way as they don't pay, they pay minimal taxation? Why do we allow them to take this this money offshore. Why do we allow them to do this? I mean, we are rich enough for the government of the day to actually create money out of thin air as they did during the COVID-19 pandemic and we are rich enough to stand by that debt. It's just extraordinary. I spend most of my time, and I'm only practising part-time these days, I spend most of my time in the medical world trying to access resources for people who need resources. Through an overstretched public health sector, and if people are covered by compensation or have private health insurance to ensure they don't get exploited, by a private health sector, which is basically um, bankrolled by the public sector, $8 billion. I mean, $8 billion every year goes to the private health insurance industry. That's corporate welfare. Billions of dollars every year go into the private education system. That's corporate welfare. The list goes on and on. 
why are we welded to this idea that the only mechanism, the only way we can survive and prosper as a people is through a public profit, public investment for private, private profit for private investment model. And what we've done, we've allowed every single aspect of our existence to be polluted. And that's the word, to be polluted by this idea. Not just in terms of resources, outcomes, access to, uh, you know, what's necessities, but in terms of our thinking. We have reached a period in human history where technology is now trying to overcome evolution. That's right. We are seeing human beings being packaged in such a way as to force them to interact with a technology which is basically exploitive of them. A technology which creates a paucity of ideas. And when you join or incorporate these, these technological innovations which is the f- with the fact that we as a people accept the private investment for private profit model ad nauseum, every aspect of our existence, you begin to see why we will never be able to overcome these issues. And it's all very well to say there's them and us, but the fact is that if change is not possible, you have an explosion. It's that simple. And if we look at all pivotal moments in human history, from the French Revolution onwards, or any pivotal moments in human history, they have been accompanied by violence. Because if you cannot create a system which meets to some degree the needs and desires of the population you control, you create the very milieu which will lead to violence. Initially, that violence we see is internalised. We are one of the most over-medicated population in the world. We have one of the highest degree of anxiety and psychological pressures and issues in the world. We find ourselves facing insurmountable odds every day in terms of our ability to meet not only our financial commitments but our commitments at an interpersonal level because we seem to forget that it's we're not just individuals. We are not just individuals. And the problems are ours, they're internalised, they're ours. We are part of a greater community. And if you've got if you've got a political system, a cultural system, a social system, a technological system, which not only 
encompasses a private investment for private profit model, but uses this model to destroy any hope or any other type of system being created, all you do, as we've seen over the last 40 years, is increase that inequality, and that is a recipe for violence and disaster. And that's where we're heading. That is the recipe. That is where we're going, because nothing seems to change. When I spoke in praise of corporate Australia, obviously they're very good as far as their investors are concerned, but as far as the rest of the community is concerned, they're anthrax, bubonic plague. They're nothing more. They're destroyers. They destroy human beings. They destroy communities. They destroy nation states. And we see this again in the renewable energy push. Great idea. Unfortunately, it's all about centralised renewable energy, privately owned, corporately owned renewable energy. We're not looking at decentralised system. It's the same in every aspect of our existence. And while we continue to think in this way, that the only way forward you know, is through retirement, through our superannuation funds, through acquire enough capital you know, in order to survive, to become part of the 8% that part of the investment class, we will continue to be saddled with the same problems. And it will get to a point where people will say enough is enough. Maybe not coherently, maybe not as some type of political movement or social movement, initially in terms of self-destructive behaviour, eventually in terms of a push for radical egalitarian social change. So may not happen in my, well, slightly won't happen in my lifetime, but if we continue the way we are, change will never occur unless there is that violent confrontation, which we've seen historically has been the safety valve which has allowed human beings, social, political movements to evolve in order to meet the cultural, social, economic, interpersonal needs of us as a people. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Right. Mental health crisis. I've kind of mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. Deinstitutionalisation. Great idea. Get people out of the institutions. It's a little bit like saying, wow, go out and enjoy the sunshine. We're going to chuck you out of your house. You can enjoy the sunshine. You're not coming back into this house. But the trouble is, if you don't make alternative arrangements and fund those alternative arrangements, you've got problems. And that's what we see today. We see a real mental health crisis. Where over 50% of the issues which are dealt by police are not dealt in the health sector because there is a non-existent mental health sector, as we saw in the... um, Royal Commission in Victoria into the mental health system, but it becomes a police matter. The same with violence in the home. Police matter. We try to legalise our way out of a situation 
which is created with the type of society we live in. It doesn't mean it's an excuse for people's behaviour, but it's a mechanism by which we understand people's behaviour if they cannot receive the help they need at a particular point in their life. And that's the issue. They help they need at a particular point in their life. And if that health and that help is dependent on the private health sector and the amount of money in your pocket and the amount of insurance you can pay, then you will see a large number of people, an increasing number of people with major mental health issues being funnelled through the um, public health system, through the prisons, through the courts. If you haven't, and you live in a you know you live in a regional town or a capital city, a little bit of homework. You got a day to spend. Go down to your local magistrate's court. Sit in the body of the court. They're open courts in the majority of cases. Look at what goes through the court. Think about how many are due to the individual and how's the individual's behaviour been moulded by the situation they find themselves in. And I think at the end of the day, you will find that the type of society we have, to a significant degree, creates many of the social, political, health, cultural issues we see every day. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia of other community radio network. If you're interested in those ideas, I, j- I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest. Go to pipci.net. If you've got a bit of time uh, and you're interested in, in uh, independence, the West Papua independence struggle, join us this Sunday at uh, 1pm at 838 Collins Street, Melbourne. Just walk around to the back. Got nothing to do tonight, which is the 13th of September. Come and join us at uh, La Poquetta's in Carlton North, Raftdown Street, for a sit-down meal and a bit of a bit of fun, a bit of conversation. And uh, don't forget that uh, next week on the 17th, no, 20th of uh, September, 6:30 p.m. 7 p.m. start. I'll be doing a presentation on the 19th century trade union movement and what it has to do with us today. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Let's, here we go. No? we got more time, you lucky, lucky people. You are so lucky. You can go to the podcast. You can go to 3cr.org.au, Anarchist World, this week. Listen in to the Community Radio Network next week on your local community radio station. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Brainwash minds. Oh, larger.
Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.